You're listening to the Senior Care Pharmacist Podcast, ASCP's journal come to life. Visit ASCP.com slash journal to read the articles and ASCP.com slash podcasts to listen to more author interviews. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Senior Care Pharmacist Podcast. I'm Amy Blazik. Today, I'm joined with Dr. Taylor Neighborhouse, who's Clinical Assistant Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Midwestern University College of Pharmacy and also an independent consultant at SRX Consulting Group, LLC. I'm also joined by Dr. Nana Enswa, who is a health sciences assistant clinical professor with the UC Irvine College of Pharmacy, and she has an affiliated practice site with the Senior Health Center at UCIMC. Dr. Neighborhouse, Dr. Enswa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. We're very excited to be here this morning. Yes, thank you. Yeah. So there are piece outcomes of pharmacists conducted admission medication regimen reviews in long-term care facilities will be published in the Senior Care Pharmacist in April of 2022. And so I'm so grateful that they've agreed to join us today. So I'm going to be asking a couple of questions about the piece that's going to be in the Senior Care Pharmacist coming up. So for our non-long-term care listeners, can you talk a little bit about the Impact Act that was sort of the piece that kind of made your jumping off point? And basically, if you've seen any impact of the Impact Act in long-term care for the better. I like what you did there, Amy. Impact of the impact. (laughs) Very clever. (laughs) So to summarize, I guess I can just give a brief background as to what the Impact Act is and how it influenced the piece that we, we did in terms of our study. So in 2014, the Impact Act was passed and it stands for, it's an acronym for Improving Medicare Post Acute Care Transformation Act. So it's a lot of words in there, but impact is a good way to remember it. And this was later revised with a new installation in 2018. Now, the act requires the submission of certain standardized data, which is measured by, you know, a number of different domains, which I'll be happy to talk about later on. But essentially, it requires that long-term care hospitals skilled nursing facilities, home health care agencies, and rehab facilities all submit uh, certain data, which again is standardized. And the main goal of the act is to utilize this information that's submitted to improve Medicare beneficiary outcomes. Of course, this is meant to be done through shared decision-making, care coordination, and thorough discharge planning. Now, for us, I guess for pharmacy, our focus was on a domain within the act, which is medication reconciliation. And of course, it's required in different settings. And our intervention, if you will, was through the conduction of medication regimen reviews. Some of the standardized data that's included for long-term care facilities include information that was termed or deemed to be meaningful measures, which is essentially high priority areas that focus on quality measurement and improvement. So this intervention, the act really focused on interventions that can be made on areas that pose high risks for our our patients, especially when it comes to transitions of cares, because we know in pharmacy that that's, you know, a particular time where med errors are prone. So to highlight this opportunity in transitions of care and interventions that can reduce some of the errors that occur during that time. MRRs or medication regimen reviews were included as a a requirement in the domains within this act. So previously, I I suppose there are many different reasons why perhaps pharmacists were not included. 
It was MRRs were used to be done by nursing staff, and that could be due for a number of different reasons. One being the fact that nursing staff has, you know, 24-7 access to the patients as well as immediate access to the transfer documentation. Another reason could be potentially cost. And, you know, we can stipulate a number of different reasons as to why that is. And I think pharmacists are still championing for, you know, the services that we provide, especially given our unique expertise in the healthcare team. So that's just a brief background as to what the Impact Act is, why pharmacy was not included, and why, you know, our study is so important to highlight the particular unique skills that pharmacy can bring to the table in terms of identifying these medication-related problems during the MRR conductions for our patients. I hope that was helpful. It was, absolutely. I think that, you know, the senior care pharmacist is not just a long-term care listenership. And so I always like, anytime there's something that's very specific to long-term care, I like to make sure that we elaborate on that. And that was perfect. I think like the FDA or the federal government, not the FDA, but the federal government loves their acronyms. So the fact that the IMPACT Act is a big, long acronym is not surprising. So I guess one of the things that as I was reading your piece, you know, I was just like, why would they not include pharmacists as a requirement in the medication regimen review within this particular act? And I just felt like that was really a lost opportunity for, you know, to really make meaningful changes. And that's not to disparage our nursing colleagues. It's just, as you had mentioned, we've got a a unique skill set that is really focused on medication. So I appreciate the elaboration on that because I think that that can be really, really helpful. Yeah, my pleasure. I think, you know, as pharmacists, we jump at every opportunity to celebrate the work that our co-laborers in healthcare do, but then also to highlight what we are able to bring. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for that question, for the opportunity to speak to highlighting that from pharmacy's point of view. Absolutely. And and one of the other things that as I was reading, one of your limitations was really that I would say one of the biggest limitations that you guys outline is the fact that you didn't have access to everything that you felt like you needed to do the job correctly. It felt like there was sort of like this this missing piece that you were wishing you had. And so I guess as as pharmacists read your piece and think about where they can sort of plug the holes of this, I would say of this process, what data or tools do you feel like pharmacists need to be able to do this properly and really for the best benefit of the patients? Yeah, that's a great question. As people are developing this service for the long-term care facilities, one of the barriers that we have had over the years with facilities has been gaining access to information. So a lot of our transfers into long-term care facilities come from hospitals and When patients leave the hospital, whether they're going to a long-term care facility or home or rehab facility, that's a really risky time. That transition of care, I think, has been widely recognized as a period of time that's fraught with risk to the patient. And so important tools to make sure we, we can have the biggest impact we can as pharmacists would be encouraging facilities to scan in documents and not just the discharge medication list, which is really important for reconciliation, but also their admission documents. So encouraging facilities to scan in those progress notes, their HPI, 
their labs so that we can not only look at medications and say, oh yeah, they transferred over appropriately, there's interactions or there's not interactions, but also assess, are the doses appropriate? What are these antibiotics supposed to be treating? And is the dose and duration appropriate and really making an impact for that transition? A lot of our admissions are from falls. So if a patient's admitted already having a fall, having the ability to prevent future falls is a really important review that a pharmacist can do at that transition. And so it's just really impactful to have those documents in place and for the pharmacist to have access. So for those that work in long-term care and those EHR systems, I'm sure that you can relate to finding that information can be really challenging. So I think an important tool is working with the facility to set up a way to transfer that information since our long-term care pharmacists are working remotely and reviewing those charts. And then additionally, it's important to have that relationship with the facility where we have a point person. These reviews should be done within 24 hours of the patient being admitted so that the facility has their ducks in a row to get the medications entered and that data scanned into the chart, but also having a point person that we're going to send recommendations to when we find those medication-related problems so that they can be resolved in a timely manner. So especially when we're finding very concerning issues with the medications, we want to be sure that that's going to get to a person in a timely manner, get to the physician, and be resolved for the patient's safety. So I would say those are some really important tools to have in place with the facility, as well as utilizing our resources for medication review, just in terms of a medication therapy management, addressing medication-related problems. Yeah, I. it's so interesting. Within long-term care, I think all of us are like, we would love more communication. We'd love more communication. And it's so funny because I'll tell my students that, you know, when you get information, be careful what you wish for, right? So you either get one piece of paper that's coming with them out of the hospital or you're getting the entire medical record and you're and you're wading through 80 pages of of everything. And it's just it's sort of feast or famine. But even when it's even when it's feast, it's not always necessarily what you need. I guess, you know, you are an independent consultant with this consulting group. And so I'm curious if you found if the facilities are willing to pay for this service by a pharmacist. I mean, especially with some of the things that you were finding in your review, were you able to go back to the facilities and say, hey, we're finding a lot of stuff that could be potentially dangerous? You know, are they willing to pay for that? Or does it feel like this has been sort of bundled in with the the typical consultant fee, especially since pharmacists doing this is not necessarily spelled out specifically in the impact act? That's a really great question because making a sustainable service is always a concern. And like you said, sometimes there's a lot of data to to sift through. And so it's not necessarily a quick process. Sometimes it can take quite a while to review one admission. And so Yes, cost is always a concern. And so with our consulting group, 
we have worked really hard to show our value to the providers there, to the payers in the facilities. And so we do have a contracted rate per admission. But I would say that that it's not easy to convince them to do that contracted rate. And so that's why one of the reasons that motivated this study is because we really want to show, we know from what we've seen and what we've been recommending on these admissions that we are really making an impact in patient safety, patient care. But we wanted to have some data to say to the facilities this is the type of impact that we are making for your patients. And so I think studies like this are really paramount for, for the future, for continuing justifying our, our payment for these reviews. And we definitely are bringing this type of data to the facilities to say, I know, I know you're frustrated that we're asking for this rate, but this is the value that we're bringing to your patient care. And I think future studies to show more outcomes data can continue to justify these services. Absolutely. Data, 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 data. One of the other things that I noticed as I was reading through this was that the review of records was March of 2020, right when, right when COVID hit. I think everybody, every listener just shuddered a little bit when I mentioned March of 2020. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, I think there was sort of the for lack of a better term, the -the run-of-the-mill medication-related problems that I think most pharmacists that were in long-term care during that time or before that time were running into. But were there types of types or certain medication-related problems that you were seeing pop up that were kind of unique to this pretty stressful time in long-term care as you were doing your records review? That's a great question. And to be honest, I did kind of shudder a little bit when I heard March of 2020. (laughs) I think you and I talked in what June of 2020 as you were sort of rounding out your your training, and so yeah, we're. I think everybody's like, oh gosh, don't don't bring up bring it yeah, up. <laughs> yeah, it definitely brings back you know maybe some not so fond memories for several people, but you know the timing was actually very interesting. I'm so glad that you you brought it up and you highlighted it. From my time, I guess from I'll speak from my experience first, and then I'll I'll delve into the question a little bit more. When the lockdown happened, if I'm recollecting correctly, it was more so towards the end of March, beginning of April, when we saw, you know, the big (laughs) spiel, if you will, (laughs) of COVID happening when everything kind of shut down. So our data collection, again, started from the beginning of March when things were kind of uncertain, like, are we going to go into lockdown or are we not? You know, what's going to really happen here in the next few weeks up until the end of March? So. I remember thinking to myself during this data collection, you know, months after that, huh, I wonder if this, the results that we're seeing would have differed months, you know, maybe June, July, if the data collection had happened during that time, you know. So unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I don't know, we didn't really quite see any sort of medication related problems specific to COVID again, because our data was collected so early during that time. But I, I think it's a great point to consider maybe for future analyses to see if there would be more specific changes that would happen later on. But I will say that I, I noticed personally that there were a lot of supplements like vitamin D and zinc that I was seeing pop up more and more often during that time and even in subsequent months when I was doing those medication reviews myself that probably weren't the case <laughs> earlier on within the year. And as we know, there are a lot of 
interactions that could happen with certain medications, especially with those supplements. And the risk of polypharmacy is always present. So I would say those were probably the things that I noticed, but unfortunately, they weren't specific to data collection during that month of March. But I will postulate that perhaps we would see those changes more later on if the data was collected in the subsequent months. Good question. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like March of 2020, you're right. It was sort of that transition period. So had you just been one month later, you probably, I feel like you probably, that's when all the voodoo started, right? When you started getting, again, vitamin C and vitamin D and zinc are going to, you know, save the day and hydroxychloroquine Mm -hmm. and all of the craziness that, that started happening there in those early days when we we didn't know much. So absolutely. And you know, it was definitely a learning curve. I think we were all kind of learning as we went along from March onwards, like today, it's this therapy. And, you know, well, maybe let's try this. And, you know, I'm thankful that we kind of all banded together to try to do our best to tackle the uncertainties that COVID brought on. But it was definitely a learning, a learning experience. Yeah. So I guess moving from moving from COVID into just sort of as you guys were finishing up the research, as you were putting together the paper, I guess the the question that is always on my mind is like, what what was sort of the biggest hiccup that you guys experienced as you went through the research? And, you know, what would you do differently if you had to do it again? I think one of the biggest challenges in this type of research was what type of data we had access to. In an ideal world, it would have been great to access patient charts and see how our recommendations were implemented. But bearing in mind the consultant company we are working with accesses over 20 long-term care facilities. And so in terms of private health information, that was a big challenge just to gain access to that data and then that type of retrospective chart review just the time involved is a hairy ordeal. So this was more of a a pilot or an introductory study to see, well, what types of things were we finding and predictably what could be the outcomes that come from these types of recommendations if they weren't found in a timely manner. And so that was a challenge to We really wanted to put a number on it. We wanted to put a cost um, savings benefit that we were providing. And in a reliable way, we weren't really able to put a real number on that in the way that we had hoped, just with the type of data we had access to. And so we were able to use a, a tool that estimated the kind of outcomes you would see from recommendations that's been used in previous literature. And so that was the useful way that we were able to assess the type of recommendations we were making and the impact we were making for patients. But as I think about future studies, I think it would be really neat maybe to focus in on one facility and see, get access to their private health information, work with some kind of IRB, because usually our long-term care facilities don't necessarily have that, to really gain insights into how the providers were reacting to these recommendations, what kind of changes were implemented from our recommendations. And then even further in the future, it would be great to see that outcomes data, I think, are really impactful 
outcome might be readmission rates or something like that since the implementation of our service. Again, it's kind of hard to say. It would be hard to come up with a, a way to adjust for confounders, obviously, between years and especially post-pandemic, pre-pandemic type of data. But that would be some really, really insightful drivers to showing the value of our service. So definitely there's ideas for the future and um, continuing to show our value and the value of the work we're doing. But yeah, it was interesting to navigate just the type of, of data we had access to and how we were to best show our impact with that data. Yeah, those outcomes are, are somewhat fleeting sometimes that you're like, I know that I'm making a difference. I just don't know for sure. <laughs> so it's it's very difficult. Are you guys planning any additional follow-up studies with, uh, I guess, along these same lines? At the moment, we don't have something in the works, but I think definitely wanting to see how our recommendations are being implemented might be a, a good follow-up study. So looking at how the recommendations were received by the physician and what kind of changes they made with them might be a, a good next step. And then able to have a little bit more specific estimated cost savings, things like that might be a next step in our, our process. But yeah, I think it's this is a really important area of study. And as long-term care pharmacists, it's really important to show, show the value we're providing to our patients. So I hope that next couple of years, we're able to do more studies to, to show that. This is awesome. This is like, this is really good. I was, I was really, I really enjoyed reading it. And I was like, I cannot wait to talk to you guys because but I feel like there are so many things that we do in long-term care that if we could just put a price tag on it, it's like the sky would be the limit, right? And so I think this pilot data is so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. <laughs> All right. Well, that is, that's it for us today. My guests have been Dr. Taylor Neighborhouse and Dr. Nana Enswa whose piece, Outcomes of Pharmacists Conducted Admission Medication Regimen Reviews in Long-Term Care Facilities, is going to be in the April edition of the Senior Care Pharmacist. Dr. Neighborhouse, Dr. Inswa, thank you so much. Thank you for having us. I really yes. enjoyed our talk with you. Thank you so much. All right. And this has been the Senior Care Pharmacist Podcast. I'm Amy Blazik, and I'll see you all next time. You're listening to the Senior Care Pharmacist Podcast, ASCP's journal come to life. Visit ASCP.com slash journal to read the articles and ASCP.com slash podcasts to listen to more author interviews.